speak and, and share the gospel. And so uh, thank you for praying for us. Uh, thank you for sending us out. You Two Sundays ago, you laid hands on us and you prayed for us and you sent us out on that trip. And thank you so much for your prayers as we were gone. I really appreciate Rick Lowhorn, Pastor Rick, our missions pastor, who filled in for me last week. And uh, just appreciate the good job that he did in sharing the word with all of you. Uh, today I want to start a new series. We will still be in Romans. We're going to be in Romans for quite some time. We'll be in Romans actually through the end of the year. We could, we could go much longer than that. And I'll tell you, I am anticipating slowing down, especially whenever I get to certain passages and I just feel like that I can't get it in all in one sermon. And that may happen, but right now we're planning on going just through the end of the year and by the way, this is a great time to get involved in a life group. Whenever, anytime we start a new series, uh, this is a good time to get involved in a life group as the majority of our life groups are following very closely with their curriculum, the same text that I'm using in my sermons. And if you have any questions about that, let me know. Uh, but this particular series is going to be entitled Sanctified. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've heard that word used. If you've read the Bible uh, a lot of times, if you've studied Scripture, and definitely if you've studied theology, you have heard that word before. Uh, if not, that's not a word that's very common that we use in our language very much, but basically it just means to cleanse. It's a word that we use that is closely associated with our spiritual growth. Now, I am on a, I guess you would say, kind of on a path of really explaining to you and unfolding to you the tenses that we use to describe salvation. Sometimes whenever we talk about getting saved, we, we're talking about something that happened in the past. Sometimes whenever we read the scripture, it's speaking about something that's going to happen in the future. And uh, a lot of the times whenever we speak about salvation, it has to do with something that is currently happening. These are the three tenses of salvation, and I've probably made this clear to you. You've probably heard this explained this way before. It's just a very simple way of explaining it. Over the past several weeks, my last sermon was entitled, Justified. And in justification, we're speaking about salvation in past tense. We're basically describing something that has happened to us. We're speaking about the day that we were saved. We're speaking about when we first called upon Jesus and we got saved. We were saved from sin's penalty. And I have gone through great lengths to describe this in the first few chapters of Romans. How we have been saved. That the penalty of sin is gone. That it is taken away. And we've spent a lot of time in Romans speaking about this. But there's another, there's another tense in which we talk about being saved. It's, the, it's a future tense. One day we will be saved. One day our salvation will be totally and absolutely complete. The body of sin will be done away with and you will be absolutely perfect. Think about that for a minute. There will be a time, one day, when you are glorified, when you have a resurrected body, whenever you live in heaven, you, you will be saved one day. This hasn't happened yet, but you will be saved in eternity from the presence of sin. This means that your body will never get sick again. 
This means that you will never get offended again. This means that no one will ever hurt you again. You will never hurt anybody else again. You will never, ever do anything that ever offends God ever again. This is a reality in the future, in eternity, that we will one day have. So we have been saved in the past. One day we will be saved in the future. But I want to spend uh, a few weeks, uh, several weeks actually, talking to you about where we are living our life right now. We currently are being saved. This is present tense terminology that we use to describe what it means to be sanctified. We use other words. We say, well, I'm growing in Christ. Or we talk about bearing fruit. But what's happening in this process of sanctification, this process of being saved, is that the power of sin is being overcome in your life. Now, unlike the first two tenses, whenever we were saved and whenever we will be saved, um, being saved is a process. You see, getting saved originally, when you were saved, that was something that happened one time and it was done. You only get justified one time for your sins. You only call on Jesus and get saved one time. It happens in the past. And, 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 and also in the future, this is only going to happen one time. You are only going to be bodily raised from the dead and glorified one time. It's a moment in time. Both of those are moments in time. But sanctification is something that unfolds in your life gradually. It is uh, is something that takes place over time as we become more Christ-like. And to introduce this theme that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, really Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 is where we're going to kind of focus in on this. I want to introduce the theme of sanctification with this message entitled, A Resurrection Like His. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. Join me as we stand together and read these verses from God's Word. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul has gone to great extent to talk about justification. And now a common argument that he's going to confront head-on which is, well, if we're saved by grace through faith, then it just doesn't matter how much we sin. And he's going to confront that argument right here in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? That grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, and you can underline and highlight that word, certainly in your Bible, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now look at verse 11. This is speaking to you. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is a great memory verse right there. That's a great memory verse of how you should see yourself. This is where, we're, where I'm going to end my message today. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lord, today we stand on the authority of your word which tells us who we are in Christ. And I pray, God, that today that you would help us to walk in the fullness of the newness of life. Help us to walk in the resurrection of Jesus that you have made available to us. I pray, God, a blessing upon your people today. Encourage them, Lord, through this spoken word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So it's pretty common for Christians to believe in a partial salvation. What I mean by that, it's common for, and y'all heard me speak about this before, if you've been coming to Stephen Street any length of time, it's common for Christians to believe that I can be justified and I can be glorified, that I have been saved and that I will be saved. But as far as obedience in this life, that's really not a big deal. I mean, something happened to me long time, a long time ago. I was justified. And that guarantees something that's going to happen to me a long time from now. I'm going to be glorified. So really how I live my life now, I mean, I can live for 80 years and never walk in obedience. And it doesn't really matter that much. I want you to know that in Scripture, true salvation involves all three tenses justification, glorification, and sanctification. This is kind of a hobby horse. I guess you could say this is like a, a doctrinal hobby horse for me. And uh, you, you, you probably, if there's anything that you accuse me of always preaching, this might possibly be one of them. Saying, oh, he's preaching on sanctification again, uh, preaching on having to be repentant in order to be saved. It really is a hobby horse for me. It's one of those things that's a drum that I think we should beat really, really hard because the Bible shows us clearly that saved people don't continue to sin. Now let that sink in for a minute. Saved people don't continue in sin. I said that wrong the first time, and I'll explain what I mean by the difference in the two. It's, there's, there's a difference in committing a sin and continuing in sin. I hope that you'll be able to see the two of those materialize and the difference between the two of those as we move through the text together. Again, I have gone through great lengths to emphasize that I hope, and I hope this encourages you and gives you freedom to know that you are totally forgiven. 
for sins past, present, and future. Sins that you will go out of this place and commit today. If you know Jesus as Savior, you are already forgiven of those sins. Any sin that you will commit through the remainder of your life, if you have been justified before God, the day that you were justified, however long ago it was, whether it was a day ago or whether it was 50 years ago, on that day that God declared you righteous, on that day that you called on Jesus, you were forgiven for every sin that you would ever commit. However, we must not see this as a license to sin. We can't look at this and say, oh, I got my saved card. And so now I can just, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Yeah, man, this is great. Let's party. Now, we all know that there's something wrong with that thinking. But Christians have been accused of that in the past. And this is a fallacy, in a, in a potential fallacy, if we're not careful, in our once saved, always saved doctrine. Uh, that phrase, even though I believe it, sometimes scares me because what I mean when I say once saved, always saved, what I mean by that is that true Christians will persevere to the end. We don't see the phrase once saved, always saved in Scripture, but we do see the concept of perseverance. In other words, I get saved, I start walking with God, and it never stops my whole life. We see that, we see that taught clearly in Scripture. So uh, actually what this is, if we're not careful, the idea of saying, well, I'm, I, I got justified from all my sin, I'm going to be glorified one day, and so now obeying God is not really that big a deal. The law of God is not really that big of a deal. Actually, this is an ancient heresy called antinomianism. I invite you to go look that up. Again, not a word that we use in our vocabulary a lot. This is a word that is used a lot in theological, academic theological circles. But it is a true teaching. It's, it basically means anti-law. And what it says is, is there is no divine requirement to obey God's moral laws. I doubt very seriously any of you here in this place believe that. I doubt very seriously that, most, that none of you would say, oh, God's law doesn't matter. The Ten Commandments, they don't matter. Jesus' commandments and, and the righteousness that's taught in the Bible, the holiness, that's, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. I doubt very seriously that any of us would fully ascribe to that level of this ancient heresy. However, if we're not careful, we will ascribe to what I call a soft antinomianism. Now, I thought that I invented this phrase this past week. I looked it up, and somebody has actually used it before me. But a soft antinomianism basically teaches that, well, God wants us to obey his law, but, I mean, it's really, it's really not a big deal if we don't. I mean, if we don't walk in obedience, we're still saved whether we obey him or not. If we're not careful in our once saved, always saved doctrines, we can actually find ourselves ascribing to a soft anti-law, anti-moral salvation where we say sanctification doesn't matter. Where we say repentance 
doesn't matter. Well, we begin to say, well, you know what? I mean, if we don't obey God, hey, it's all right. You got your ticket to heaven, and that's all that matters. We have to be very, very, very careful that we don't ascribe to a soft version of an ancient heresy. You see, we can't throw God's law in the trash. We can't say, well, what God expects of us no longer matters. You see, the law prior to our conversion was a schoolmaster. It basically just showed us that we were sinners and were in need of grace. But now what God's law does to us after we're converted, after we're justified, listen, God's law shows us where our lives are headed. When we see who Jesus is, when we see his righteousness, when we see his holiness, when we see how Jesus upheld the law, when we see how he walked in obedience to God, what we see and what's, what we catch is a vision of where God is taking you, where God is taking you. If you are saved, this is the direction of your life. If your heart has been changed, your behavior will also change. I am praying deeply that the hearts of some people who love Alabama football will be changed. Because you see, when that happens, their behavior will change and they will no longer speak those horrible words that I won't even repeat um, in, the, in the presence of, of honorable people. They won't wear any more of those crimson shirts with the big A's. You see, their behavior will change. It'll be absent. Did somebody just, they didn't say that in the house of God, did they? Uh, ouch. So, um, I know all you Alabama fans, y'all get offended when I do that, but I don't care. Um, so, <laughs> so th this, this is, to me is an example of what it's like whenever God changes our heart towards sin, we begin, to, we, we, begin to, we begin to not want it anymore. We begin to change on the inside. Now, we're not perfect. It does not mean that we will never sin again. We know that's not true until we're glorified. One day when we're glorified, we'll never sin again. But when our hearts are justified before God, it begins this process of cleansing, this process of growth, this process of bearing fruit that will happen in your life if the seed of the gospel has been planted. Some will bloom 30-fold, some 50-fold, some 100-fold. But there will be fruit that will be born in your life. So, back to my original point, saved people don't continue in sin. It doesn't mean that they don't sin, because probably all of us at least sinned in our attitudes or in our speech this past week. What it means is, is that there's a pattern of growth that comes into my life that changes my old behavior. Another, God, uh, another writer uh, talked about this. Well, first, look, at what, look at what it says right here in this. You see, I've gone 15 minutes. I've only got two verses behind me. I'm telling you, Romans is just thick. It is just thick with truth. Um, he says, are we to continue in sin? And look what he says. By no means. And then he says, how? 
I love that word. How can we who died to sin live in it? This does not mean that we should not continue in sin. This means that we cannot continue in sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when he uses the word how, he's saying, what do you, what do you this is not even, that's not even possible. Another gospel writer uh, uh, in 1 John also talks about this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. In other words, let me just put it in, uh, let me put it in the context of what I'm saying here today. No one who has been justified is going to fail at also becoming sanctified. It's, it's it, the, the two just, just kind of go together. And he also says in verse chapter 5, verse 18, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Again, this doesn't mean that you won't commit a sin. You will. But it means that something has changed in you, and a pattern of growth and a pattern of turning from sin is unleashed in your life. You see, I believe in a lordship salvation. I believe in lordship salvation. That means whenever we call on Jesus as Savior, that we are also accepting his lordship over our life. I don't believe it's possible for him to be Savior, but not Lord. He is going to be Lord when he is truly Savior. And that's what we believe and that's what we teach. So why is it not possible? Why, do, why is it not possible? By no means you cannot continue in sin uh, um, um, if, if you've been justified. Why, why does Paul say that? Why does John talk about that? Why, why is that? And here it is. Saved people, and I'm going to condense these verses for you. Saved people have a union with the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now think about this. Salvation is something that is so internal that it is an identification. It's, it's, some theologians call it a mystical union, a spiritual union that we have with Christ. Look at this. We have been united with him in a death like his. Then we shall certainly circle that, underline that in your Bible. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That's talking about glorification. That resurrection is speaking about glorification. No, it's not. This is speaking about a current reality in our life. This is speaking about a resurrection, an identification that we currently have with his resurrection in which we live a life like his. We're going to see that in the text. First thing I want to do is point out to where saved people have already experienced death through union with Christ's death. Now, let me say that again. This is in Romans 6, 3 through 5. Saved people have already experienced death through union with Christ's death. If you've been justified, if you have been saved, if you've been converted, this has happened to you. You have identified with Christ's death. You have been baptized 
into his death. You were buried with Christ. You had a baptism into death. You have been united with him in a death like his. This is a spiritual identification that you currently have with Jesus. And we talk about this death all the time. By the way, the term death or died is used 13 times in the opening chapters of Romans chapter 6. And this language of death that describes our conversion and what it means for us on the inside is used extensively throughout Scripture. Here's a couple of verses for you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. A spiritual reality inside of me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. You have died. Think about that. This is not speaking about physical death. This is speaking about a, this is speaking about a spiritual union that you have with Christ. You have died, and your life is now hidden with God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus talked about this. He says we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up this instrument of execution, this instrument of death. We have to take up our cross. Jesus talks about losing our life so that we might find it. You see, whenever you speak about sin in your life, you need to be speaking about it as something that is past tense. You need to be saying, I may struggle with alcoholism, but I used to be a drunk. And now the Lord is, has delivered and is delivering me from that. You may say, I used to be a fornicator. And every now and then I, I make mistakes. But God has delivered me from that, and I'm coming out of it. You may say, I used to be a liar. I used to be a slanderer. I used to be an adulterer or a fornicator. I used to be a homosexual. I used to be a, a thief. I used to be all of those things. But something happened in your life. There was a change that happened in your life when you got saved. And that started this process through your repentance and sanctification in which God started, he started taking that trash out of you. And you may, you may still occasionally say a lie, but you're not a liar anymore. You may slip up and get drunk, but you're not a drunk anymore. You may slip up and do a lot of things that you shouldn't do, but you should be able to speak of your sin as something that is in the past. Paul said, you once were these things, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been changed. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, I've never, I've never been those things. Praise God. Who do you think that is keeping you from those things? It's because you are growing in Christ. Some of you got saved whenever you were a small child. And you never had a chance to be this horrible person in life. I thank the, I thank the Lord for that. Man, I want that to be true of my kids. I want to get saved early. I want them to never, ever commit a sin and be holy and righteous all their life, right? As parents, that's what we want for our kids. We want to, we want to shelter them from all that. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't change the fact that there still is a growth that takes place. Even if there wasn't heinous sin in your past, there still should be a growth of sanctification that should take place in you. And our baptism, our water baptism that's spoken of in these verses, our water baptism uh, is, is a picture of this. There must be death or there can't be life. And this is the title of my sermon. This is where I got my, the title of this message from. Saved people have already been resurrected through union with Christ's resurrection. 
this is great news. This is a current reality in your life. Look at the, the, the this, this idea of resurrection is not speaking of a future bodily glorification. Not speaking of when you're in heaven. This is speaking about something that is a current reality in your life. If you know Jesus as Savior. You see, we say this all the time. We use this phrase. We have been buried with Christ. And whenever we baptize people, and, and what I usually say when someone comes up out of the water is that we are raised to walk in newness of life. Our water baptism is a picture of that death as you go under the water, as you're buried, and then as you come out of the water, it's this, this beautiful picture of now you're, you're, you're raised from the dead, that you have made, been made spiritually alive in Christ, and you are raised to walk in newness of life. And if we've been united in a death like His, then we're going to have a resurrection like His. We're going to be set free from sin. We're going to live with Him. This is a current reality that we should have. This is, this is a newness of life that we should have. I believe one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we fail at discipling people is because some people have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and we're doing everything we can to try to clean them up. We're telling them to read their Bibles. We're telling them to come to church. We're telling them to, you know, get into a 12-step program. We're telling them to do all of these things. And they keep coming up short because, they, because they've never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, He brings that about in, in, in our life if we're, truly, if we're truly saved. You see, your justification and your sanctification are linked. Now, we're going to we're going to get to this we're going to get to this passage in several weeks but uh, in Romans chapter 8:29 it says those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son i don't think it goes too far to say based upon that verse that if you have been justified it is predestined that you are going to be both glorified and sanctified i mean that it's it is a process that is going to happen in your life and I, I think that sometimes whenever we're trying to help people overcome sin in, the, in their life, we too easily skip past the saved part, the converted part. And maybe we need to go back and revisit that in the lives of people. Maybe you need to go back and revisit that in your life right now. Maybe you have just been trying so hard for so long to live according to God's Word and to live according to God's law. And you just find yourself with no power to do it. You try and then you fail and you try again and then, you know, you come to church for a while and then you drop out. You read your Bible and pray for a while and nothing seems to happen. And, you know, you try to overcome that sin and before long it just kind of grabs a hold of you again. Listen, friend, maybe you've never been saved. Maybe, you, maybe you've never been truly converted. Maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, empowering you and helping you. Because if you do, God is going to do that work of sanctification and holiness inside of you. It's something, that, it's something that's going to happen. The last thing you want to do is, is be a lifeless puppet. That Christian people in churches are kind of pulling your strings and kind of trying to bring you, make, make it look like that you're alive in Christ. Whenever maybe you're really not. See, here's one thing that I've learned. Um, 
when it comes to discipling people and helping people grow and bear fruit, the only thing that I do is come alongside people and encourage them and cheer them on who it's going to happen in their life anyway because the Spirit of God is at work in them. I'm just a cheerleader. If I was to die and fall off the map, they're still going to go on to grow in Christ. They're not leaning on me. I'm not, I'm not carrying them towards holiness. The Spirit of God is doing that. And so when we disciple people, we see it happening in someone and we say, ooh, I want to encourage, I want to I cheer that person because I see it happening in their life. You see, discipleship is not really something that you do to someone as much as something that the Holy Spirit does. The Bible, I mean, the Bible says that we don't need anyone to teach us anything, that the, the anointing teaches us all things. As a discipler, you're just coming along and uh, supplementing, giving a little instruction, pointing people towards Christ, helping people, and I love this part, helping people recognize what God is teaching them. Sometimes, sometimes people don't see, oh, wait, but the Lord's showing me something. I'm like, hey, God's speaking to you, right? And then they're like, oh, you're, you're right, the Lord is speaking to me. And that's, that's part of what we do. People that have the Holy Spirit, they begin to see this change that takes place in their life. And listen, if there's not a change that has ever taken place in your life, you need to revisit whether or not you've been justified. You need to think about whether or not the salvation that you claim is truly genuine. Because saved people have a new identity. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 it's, this, this is your memory verse for this week. This is your memory verse. So you also consider yourselves, you know, right now there's a, a, lot of, a lot of talk about identity in our culture. You know, I identify as this or that or whatever. Listen, this is your identity. If you know Jesus as your Savior, this is your identity. This is who you are. The Bible says, consider yourselves. Think about yourselves. Your identity, your identity is dead to sin. That's great news. That is great news to know that God has declared me dead to sin, that this is the spiritual reality of my life, and that I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, that I currently have that life. I don't have to wait until I'm glorified. I don't have to wait until I'm bodily raised from the dead. I have this life right now. You have it right now. What happens is, is um, Satan, Satan wants to keep you bound. He doesn't want you to see this truth. He wants you to believe that your discipleship is all up to you. Satan wants you to believe that defeating sin in your life is all up to you. Just try harder. That's what he says. Whenever God says... You're dead to sin. And we see this beautiful picture of victory that unfolds in the book of Romans that culminates with him saying we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who died for us. We are conquerors. Satan doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think that you're still bound to sin and oh, just woe is me. He wants you to wallow in all of that guilt when God says you're not guilty. He wants you to wallow in weakness whenever God says that you are alive and you have power to, to live according to his word. You see, this should, this, should give us, this should give us comfort, not guilt. So I want to ask us to respond today by praying a prayer and asking the Lord to show us two things. Two things. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Lord 
God, am I really saved? Do I truly have that power residing inside of me? And then, I, and, and, if, and if you know that you are saved, then I, I want you to pray another prayer. I want you to pray, Lord, open my eyes to see the power for holiness and sanctification that lives inside of me. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I want you to spend some time just praying to the Lord right now, just you and him. We've already done this.